congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture speaks to us tonight, and as it speaks, it records for us the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Many of you know seven words were spoken, or seven sayings were spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. And I had a practice in my former congregation that I hope to continue here, taking one word per year. So we come to the first word. But, but allow yourself to imagine the setting. Humanity has done its worst. Humanity has taken the Son of God and nailed Him to the cross. And the entire time, the human race has sneered, has hated, has lashed out verbally, and has lashed out physically, a beating, mocking, ridiculing, and now crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we were to watch this scene unfold uh, in its original context, it would have been a somewhat familiar scene because Romans often crucified individuals. And those crucified individuals often railed out. Uh, they would oftentimes uh, breathe out all sorts of threats against their crucifiers and against passerbyers. Usually the scene of a crucifixion would not be a silent scene at all. Thus far you might say Jesus Christ has been marked by silence. Yes, he answered Herod, uh, but there was a certain silence to him. Even as he goes about making his way to Calvary, Luke only records one word, uh, that he gives on the way, that to the women who wept. And now he's suspended between heaven and earth, and he speaks. What will he say? This dying Son of God. I would submit to you this evening, as we consider verse 34a briefly, that here, here we have the very heart of the gospel. When Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When I think of this word from the cross, I can't help but think that this is a word of compassion. And I want to just briefly this evening consider the source of the word of compassion, the direction of the word of compassion, and the request in the word of compassion. And I'd encourage you to look at verse 34, where it records uh, these grace-filled, compassionate, marvelous words. Verse 34 begins, Then Jesus said. Just stop at that first word for a moment. Then. Then. Well, when? Well, look at verse 33. And note the contrast. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. Then he said, Father, forgive them. Not just when the multitudes had made some passing insult. Not just when the multitudes uh, had rejected him as king, but when they had crucified him. When they had taken nails and pierced those hands that had only done healing in their midst. That had only broken bread to feed the hungry. 
that had only raised their dead from the dead. They took those very hands and drove nails through them. And those feet, those feet that walked their streets teaching and preaching the kingdom of God, those, those feet that had stopped when individuals cried out for mercy, and those feet that had been swift to run when individuals had said, come to our house, whether to dine with us or whether to heal our sick or whether to raise our dead. They took those feet and they drove a spike straight through them. And that head that was often bowed in intercessory prayer on their behalf, it now wears a crown of thorns. Then he said, Father, forgive them. Do you ever doubt the love that Christ has for his people? Do you ever feel sometimes that you're not worthy of his love? Well, if you ever have such a moment, consider the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, even as the multitudes mocked him, rejected him, ridiculed him, then he said, Father, forgive them. He's engaged in the intercessory work that had been prophesied of old. Isaiah 53, verse 12 says, And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. It had been prophesied of old, and it is testified this interceding work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Notice that he always lives to make intercession, even as he's dying. He's living to make intercession for sinners. And so the source of the word of compassion is a crucified, interceding Savior. Then Jesus said, Father. That word Father reveals the direction of this word of compassion. You know, in our day, it's quite common to hear people say that they have to forgive themselves. And I understand that perhaps there must be an embracing of forgiveness, but forgiveness, first of all, is a matter that deals with God. Because sin is a matter that deals with God. Now, these individuals, whether you consider the Jews or whether you consider the Romans or whether you consider the common, average, everyday person who would have made up part of the crowd that cried out, away with the man, or whether you consider the Roman instruments of the soldiers actually carrying out the crucifixion. They had sinned against Almighty God. And all of us, by nature, we have sinned against an Almighty God. And we continue to sin against an Almighty God. And so it's only fitting and it's only proper and it's only necessary that Jesus Christ says, Father, as He appeals to His Heavenly Father, who is the righteous judge, with whom we must deal. He doesn't say, Pilate, forgive them. He doesn't say, Herod, forgive them. Now, during his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ at times would 
proclaim that a person's sins had been forgiven, but here in this position of the cross, as the Son of Man, He is bearing the sin of the world, and so He appeals to His Father as His Father sits in infinite righteousness and infinite holiness, and He says, Father, the fountainhead of the Trinity. This reminds us that our greatest need is reconciliation with God. Reconciliation with a holy God, with a righteous God. But consider who it is that's crying out, Father. It's the Son. The Son comes into the presence of the Father and says, Father, forgive them. There ought to be great comfort derived from this fact. Because the Son, the Son has credibility in the presence of the Father. The Son is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-essential with the Father. And the Son has all of the merits of His perfect righteousness so that if, and it's not as if the Father, it's not as if the Father is inclined not to forgive, don't think that the Father is slow to forgive and that Christ must somehow uh, win the Father over. Uh, the Father is just as eager to forgive as the Son is. But the Son comes, and even as He is making the atoning sacrifice, He says, Father, on the basis of what I am here doing, forgive them. We are also not only comforted, but we are instructed that there is only one way to the Father. And that is through the Son. We've said it before and we'll continue to say it as long as it is true. We live in a culture, in an age, in a world uh, that is characterized by what we call pluralism. Pluralism is the lie that there are many, many ways to the Father or to the higher being or to some spiritual peace or some sense of utopia. Well, Jesus Christ clearly refutes such nonsense when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So on the one hand, we are instructed that there is only one way to receive the forgiveness that we so desperately need from the Father, and that is the way of the Son. And so our faith must be directed to the Son and to the Son sacrifice. But even as we are uh, instructed and even as we are admonished that our faith must rest in Jesus Christ, there is also this confidence given to our faith. The Father hears the Son, and the Father delights in the Son, and the Father always answers the Son. I'm always struck when I read this chapter of how quickly, how quickly Christ's intercessory prayer is answered. Consider the thief who underwent a sudden conversion. One minute he's rallying, blaspheming Christ. The other minute he's pleading for mercy. And what stands in the middle? Jesus Christ in his prayer. The Son says to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the repentant thief undergoes a radical change because the Father always hears the Son. And so there is this direction. Then Jesus said, Father, well, what exactly does he ask? 
It's quite simple, and yet all of its simplicity, it is most profound. Forgive them. I am concerned that sometimes we do not look very carefully at what words mean. What is in this request, forgive? You know, forgiveness is different than an apology. To say you're sorry for something is different than say, forgive me. You say sorry perhaps when when you overlook something. Even perhaps when you overlook something and you are rude to someone. You say, well, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. But forgive. That's, That's not saying just I'm sorry. So what does the word forgive actually means? It's this, it's a request to make of no account the sin which has been committed. When Jesus Christ says to the Father, Father, forgive, he's saying, Father, make of no account the sin which is being committed. The sin of crucifying the Son of God. And when we come through the Son, and we say, Father, forgive us, the Son then, in essence, takes our petition, and He turns to the Father, and He says, Father, forgive them. Make of no account the sin which they have just committed. Don't put it in your legal ledger. Don't hold it against them. Don't require payment from them. Don't exact punishment for them. Father, forgive. Well, on what basis? On the basis or on the ground of Jesus' substitutionary atoning sacrifice. It's as if Jesus says, Father, don't place this onto their account. Place it onto my account. We find evidence of this in Leviticus 5. Verse 17 and 18, their provision is made. And Moses says, if a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him, regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. You see the connection? Moses, the Lord, through Moses says, if one of the people sin out of ignorance, they're guilty. But let them pick a lamb without blemish and let them bring it to the priest as a trespass offering And the priest shall make atonement through the sacrifice of that perfect lamb. And their sin shall be forgiven. And and Jesus, he understands this provision all the way back in Leviticus. And so he's standing upon this substitutionary atoning principle. And he's saying, Father, here I am as the perfect lamb without blemish. And I'm laying down my life as a trespass offering for my people. 
And in accordance with that principle of the substitutionary atonement, forgive them. Make their sin to be of no account. It is only through the forgiveness of sins that there can be reconciliation with God. Colossians 2 verse 13 and 14 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. On this passage, Matthew Henry, uh, that well-known commentator, says the greatest sinners may through Christ upon their repentance hope to find mercy. The greatest sinners may through Christ hope to find mercy because the Christ said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In closing, I'm reminded of Acts 13, verse 38 and 39, and where the apostles proclaim, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. All seven words from the cross, congregation, are most sacred. These words should never, ever, ever be spoken of lightly. And let us take great care that we never misinterpret these words or use them in a different context. Each one of these words, you might say, drips with the grace and the mercy of a triune God. And, and as the elements are distributed in a few moments, people of God, as your hands take the bread, and as your hands take the cup, and as the bread goes into your mouth, and as you take, eat, then also remember and believe that Jesus Christ said, Father, forgive them. And as your eye beholds the wine, and as it resembles the blood that dropped down with great amounts, and as you take that wine upon your lips, do so hearing the echo of the words spoken from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask for forgiveness. We recognize our sin, and we humbly pray that for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and His perfect substitutionary atoning sacrifice, that You would make our sin to be of no account but that you would grant us the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and remind our hungry and thirsty souls of this truth also now with the administration of the Lord's Supper. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.